0: Hey, this is Josh from Hope's Fall, and you're listening to The New Scene.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to The New Scene. This is Keith. And Tommy. And we are back, and it's a brand new year, and a brand new show. Folks, strap in, because we've got Will Benoit from SOM on the show. Their new album, The Shape of Everything, comes out January 21st on Pelagic Records. We have heard it, we love it, we have spoken to Will, and this is a great conversation. You're going to love it.
0: He was a really great interview. And on top of that, had some really interesting things to say about the recording process. So let's just put it out there. There is some interesting things about the drums on this record <laughs> that you will not believe.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. You, If you heard our New Year's Eve special where we counted down our top 10, you heard the advanced clues to today's show, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. It was just a great conversation and very nice to talk to Will. Now, some show business. Uh, folks, we're in a new year. We're in a new year and we want to continue growing the show. So we are going to need your help. Here's what you can do to support us. Number one, follow us on everything YouTube, The New Scene, Facebook, The New Scene, Twitter and Instagram, New Scene Pod. We definitely want a lot of followers there and twitch.tv slash The New Scene. I occasionally go on there and play video games. And of course, Support our sponsor, Iodine Recordings. Here's a couple Iodine updates for you. Garrison has some vinyl shipping now. If you order the Garrison vinyl, you'll be getting it soon. There's only a few of the first press remaining, and Iodine will be dropping two releases in January. Get on the email list at iodinerecords.com for the latest and greatest updates. Iodine is also announcing five new signings in 2022, Tommy. How about that? That's incredible. Yeah. When Casey first started talking to us about
0: this, I really was like, oh, okay, so this is going to be a lot of him, you know, re-releasing some of the older stuff um, and then maybe doing, you know, a couple new acts here and there. Five. Five (laughs) new new releases coming in 20, well, five new signings coming in 2022.
1: It was funny when we had him on the show the first time and he said he was just doing some of the re-releases of the classic iodine material we hadn't spoken to him in a long time and then i saw that he signed a band and i'm like so self-centered i'm like how could he not have told us about this like why (laughs) didn't he did he lie to us did he tell us about but you know that's that's just ridiculous thinking (laughs) (laughs) i was going to say we do a lot
0: of that sometimes like we did we have this conversation with ourselves before we have the conversation with a person Yeah, And and you realize you've already had the argument or like you've already had like confronted them about something and you just go, hey, how you doing? And they're like, you seem off. You okay?"
1: You're like, yeah, because we're we're in an argument. I had an entire imaginary conversation with you in my head and now I'm feeling feelings about it. Exactly. Oh, it's so terrible! Oh, another thing, Tommy. Jerome's Dream presents. It's finally on streaming services. I just randomly checked yesterday, and it has dropped. And I know the original came out in two thousand one, but I'm considering the re-release one of the best of twenty twenty one as well, for sure. I was listening to that yesterday, and I love that record. It is really good. I I yeah. just I
0: I like the the trajectory of Jerome's Dream. Like they just. Everything they put out has had a distinctive kind of new sound to it. And I'm always anxious to hear what they do next. And Presents is definitely one of my favorites.
1: Well, folks, we're in a brand new year. 2022. It's happening. It's starting. Two of the records I'm looking forward to the most, they both come out on my birthday, Tommy. That's got to be a good sign, right? Yes. Number one, Psalm, The Shape of Everything, which we've heard in advance of. It's really, really good. That comes out, once again, folks, that comes out January 21st on Pelagic Records. And Anxious, Little Greenhouse comes out on 121 on Run For Cover Records. I'm really looking forward to that. That song, Call From You, I've listened to that probably a hundred times. I was going to say, I've ran that single into the ground. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, That's one of those ones where I just go, I'll listen to that
0: again. That's one of those bands that, they just have such a great sound like they're the way they make music kind of reminds me of so many of the bands I grew up on but it's not one distinctive style like it, it's just a, it's a like a mix-up mash-up of like so many of the different things I grew up listening to and it, I'm just really I'm anxious to see what it sounds like
1: hey <laughs> that was good no it's that's a perfect description it reminds me of the music of my youth that gave me such a like beautiful feeling you know think texas is the reason and uh, rival schools and all that good stuff like uh, you're young you're you're doing exciting things you're discovering exciting things it sounds like that without being a retread it's fresh it's new exactly it, the, you know the, uh, there's a
0: band that used to be on doghouse they really remind me of they were called joshua And it has that same type of feeling when I hear that. I go, I love just there's one guitar part for some reason that must line up similarly to a Joshua song, because every time I hear it, I just go, oh, I got to go listen to that Joshua song.
1: (laughs) There's uh, some more new music out there. Drowning Man is back today with a new song. It's called Navigating Grief and Loss in a Pre-Apocalyptic Landscape. This is really good. What did you think, Tommy? I
0: really like it. And here's the biggest thing about it. It has the distinctive Drowning Man sound. Like It sounds like they've never left.
1: Yeah, this is like classic How They Light Cigarettes or Still Loves You era Drowning Man. Excellent riffage, good heavy parts, good clean parts. It's classic Drowning Man. And it has the classic Long Drowning Man song title, which I love. (laughs) (laughs) They have one of my favorite song titles ever. It's off of Rock and Roll Killing Machine. The song is called, If God Loves a Winner, He's Going to Want to Fuck Me in a Minute. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. He always, like, that's
0: that's one of the things is with, I guess, Drowning Man has kind of always encapsulated, like, a bunch of the different parts of the kind of, like, growing up, like, the music that we've had growing up, and that writing those extremely long song titles is just one of those parts. Yeah. But like every time I see a long song title, I always think, like, remember Neil Perry used to do that? Neil Perry would have, like, really, really, like, obnoxiously long song titles. It's like, why are you doing this? But they're always tongue-in-cheek. Like, yeah. there's always some type of pun in there or some type of inside joke. It was all – I just love that.
1: I think it's so funny. Whenever I see the really long song title, I just think Drowning Man. Yeah. Yeah. For I don't know if anyone did that before, but for our era, they definitely originated that. Well, that's it for segment one, folks. Check in for segment three. We're going to talk about what we got coming up for the year. We're going to talk about our New Year's Eve recaps. That's going to be exciting. But right now, we're going to talk to Will Benoit from Psalm. Enjoy. folks we're here now with will benoy will welcome to the show
2: thanks for having me guys
1: it's great to have you here you know we're a big fan of all the music that you've done and some has a new album coming out next month which is very exciting but first will we've got to ask you how are you doing today
2: uh doing all right today uh i want to thank you guys for having me i am a fan of the podcast as well um i like how you guys interview stuff handle interviews so this should be fun um Today, I'm doing okay, man. I took a, I got a COVID booster on Tuesday, and I felt fine. And then, like, middle of the night, I was shivering, out of control, could not get out of bed until noon. had kind of a rough night last night, but, you know, I'm doing okay. I just cracked a beer, so I'll be good. Oh, <laughs> <you> excellent.
1: Go. <laughs> COVID is ravaging New York City again. We just recorded Monday night, and our guest had COVID. It's, it's all over the place, and I, I really hope I don't get it.
2: Yeah, stay
1: home. Yeah, my school is currently shut down from COVID. So, Will, let's get to know you a little bit. You grew up in Connecticut? I did, yeah. Excellent. Where at?
2: Uh, I grew up in Old Saybrook, Connecticut. Went to college at Emerson in Boston. Lived up there for about 10 years. And then my wife and I bought a house in Clinton, Connecticut uh, about 12 years ago.
1: I read about you, and it seems like the defining musical point in your life was when a friend left a four track at your house in high school. And this is kind of how you got into recording and everything. Yes.
2: Yeah, totally. Yep. Yeah. My buddy growing up, Chris McMurray, shout out to him. He was my next door neighbor. And we sort of figured out how to record music together with like a tape deck and microphones and headphones. And we were just kind of always playing around with that stuff. And then he got a four track when, I don't know, he he must've been 14, 15. And uh, yeah, there was no, no going back.
1: So what were you into at that point? Give us a bit of history as far as your musical trajectory and the types of things you're into.
2: Sure. Um, I think some of the first stuff I got into was like Michael Jackson, probably like pop stuff. I like Beach Boys. Uh, Growing up, my dad was into that kind of stuff. A couple of my buddies got into like Metallica and metal, Megadeth, stuff like that. That was a pretty early influence. And then the same buddy, Chris, and I were really into like industrial stuff like Nine Inch Nails ministry that kind of blossomed into the sort of the new metal stuff that was happening around that time. I know you guys have talked about corn uh, on the podcast. So, yeah, I mean, that, you know, that's seminal when you're 14 years old.
1: Yeah, your friend uh, Phil Jameson got us on to corn yeah, that's right. and the, the the live video from Woodstock 99. It became a key talking point right. in the show.
2: Yeah, I actually I, re- I watched that after the uh, episode you guys to and t- holds up, man.
1: It really does. I show it to strangers at this point.
2: <laughs> I love that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I still go back to it every now and again, and uh, just the intro and how they like drag it out for like another measure or two. Uh, it's I I love it.
2: I'm sold. Yeah, I feel like it speaks to our childhood in a way that not not a lot of other music does.
1: So you have the four track. You're in high school. Yeah. What kind of recording are you doing? Are you recording with yourself? Are you recording with other people?
2: Yeah, I had a couple bands that I was in. Um, uh, at that time I think my parents saw in me that I was really interested in it so like I, I was a drummer at that point I, I didn't play guitar or anything but my parents seemed to understand that I was it's something I was obviously really into so they got me guitar lessons for a little bit and and the dude that I took lessons with was he also understood that I was into recording I was like okay well like like try to you know play chords into your sampler into your four track and then try to play over that by yourself and like You know, all these sort of like little more esoteric stuff when you're 15. But in hindsight, it's like, oh, that that he totally understood what I was trying to do. Yeah. Just like a lot of playing with drums, like Godflesh was another big influence. Just like, whoa, you can make stuff really heavy with a drum machine and a guitar and a distortion pedal. So it was a lot of just like figuring out how sonics work and, you know, sitting alone in my parents' basement figuring stuff out.
1: Tell us about your journey with underground music. Did you have an entry point or a show that blew you away? Were you into hardcore or post-rock or other stuff?
2: That's interesting. Um it was kind of a slow burn, I guess. Like there was a being in, from a small town in Connecticut. The scenes pretty much bled into each other. I mean, everything was like hate breed, earth crisis, like that was kind of the thing around here. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, we'd be able to, like, I was in like a, a, you know, quote unquote industrial band with drum machines and we'd play with hardcore bands and like, it was cool because the scene was so small, you know, there'd be 25, 50 people there and it all kind of like bled together. Um, As far as seeing a show, I think the first thing that really, it's kind of cheesy, but like I saw Slayer with Fear Factory and Kilgore in like 90, what would that have been, like 97? And that was like, it was the biggest like, you know, underground show I had been to at that point. And it was at the Palladium and that was just like, holy shit, like people really care about this stuff and they're passionate about it. Like I am, this is crazy. And, uh, that was actually right before I moved to Boston and it just, yeah, it all kind of clicked mentally at that point.
1: Nice. Yeah. So, so you moved to Boston. What did you get involved with when you moved down there?
2: Well, I was the first year or so. I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just kind of hanging out, making friends, trying to figure it out. I think when things started changing for me is when I got an internship at Hydrahead and I mean, that was definitely like this, the moment where it was like the underground thing really started to make sense. Like going into that office a couple of times a week and seeing like cave in and ISIS and piebald and converge and all these bands just like doing exactly what I wanted to be doing and just saying they were you know, like, fuck you. Like we're doing this ourselves. We're doing this with our friends. That was an eye opener for sure.
1: So you were working at Hydrahead during what sounds like the heyday of Hydrahead. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, it was. I was, I lucked out for sure.
1: Yeah, they were everything. Botch, ISIS, yeah. yep. everything. What did you do with ad Hydrohead?
2: Oh, I mean, I didn't do I assembled records. I, you know, opened demos for them. I'd run to the post office and mail out mail order, you know, go out to lunch with them if I was lucky, just like total intern, you know, whatever whatever they needed done I would do. Like my, my claim to fame in that office, that my joke is like I'm the one that sent the ISIS demo to uh Ipecac, Mike Patton. Like Aaron spent a bunch of time putting together this whole press kit, and I was like, "Holy shit! I get to mail something to Mike Patton. Like this is the coolest thing I've <laughs> <you've> ever done." <laughs> Do you ever go to
1: people and say, "Like, yeah, I got a ISIS signed to Epicac. That was me.
2: No, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even at, at the time, I was very aware of like just being. You know, it was it was an honor to be in in such good company.
1: So you you attend Emerson College, you graduate. With a degree in visual and media arts, and you also took some classes at Berkeley right
2: I did yeah <laughs> you guys did your homework um I just it was like a just more production classes, um audio technology history of rocket rock music, what else did I take there? just like you know more nerd classes <laughs> I was full in at that point man i, I it was like whatever I could get my head, hands on some music synth class I think I took.
1: Oh well. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I I was blown away. I didn't know. I was going to college for like economics and I was horrible at math. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I didn't know I didn't even really realize you could take music classes. Well, and, to be
2: fair, you were probably smarter.
1: Uh, <laughs> well, not exactly, but <laughs> but once I figured out, "Hey, I'm going to take some music classes." I kind of failed out and but then I went on tour with a friend's band, so it all worked out. But mm-hmm. What was your plan? What did you want to do, Will?
2: A more successful version of what I'm doing, I guess, would be the honest answer.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Of what you're doing right now?
2: Yeah, I mean, playing in bands, making records, you know, working on soundtracks here and there. Like, just being a working musician was always kind of the dream. Yeah. But I didn't know that the bottom would fall out before I was 25. (laughs) Well, explain. Well, you know, just like um, in the year 1999, a band could sell cds and make a living and nowadays it's like oh yeah and far between yeah but i mean you know not complaining obviously i could i could change trajectory wherever i wanted but i'm happy doing what i'm doing
1: so you founded radar recordings in 2003 yes
2: so when we started that that was that was a record label um very much in the in the spirit of hydra head and big wheel that was me and actually mike who's in psalm now together we were just like he was he was um interning at like tbt records and doing some bigger stuff and sort of like what i was seeing in boston and what he was seeing in new york he was living in in boston but working for a label from new york and we were just like holy shit we can do this like this is the time to do this so we started putting out friends bands and yeah just trying to figure out how we could all tour together and book cool shows and just have fun
1: so how do you get the label started i mean I guess you had a little bit of experience working at Hydrahead and seeing how things work. Do you, do you have friends who help out with graphic design? How does it, how does it come together?
2: Yeah, I guess, I mean, it was a lot of like learning on our feet. Like Mike was really interested in graphic design. So like, he sort of like started doing that stuff pretty early on. Yeah, man, it was seat of our pants. We didn't know, like we, you know, we ostensibly kind of knew what we were doing, but we didn't know what the hell we were doing. We were just sort of like, oh, maybe this personal distro records are like, oh, maybe Newberry comics will carry this. Like, How do we hustle our way and, you know, make ourselves look legit even when we're not? (laughs) You just have to fake it until you make it. Totally, dude. Totally.
1: Which is hard sometimes because I find myself in a lot of situations where I'm just like too honest or I'm like, hey, I have no clue what I'm doing.
2: Oh, same. That's something, I mean, I'll admit it here is like I'm a quiet person. So when I start saying like, no, no, you don't like I'm full of shit. Like I'm just pretending I'm trying to figure this out too. I just shut down and I'm quiet and people are like, oh, maybe he knows what he's doing. (laughs) 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 it works works to my advantage
1: it it really does that's always my thing too like i'll say too much and then i'm like mental note next time say nothing because if you say nothing you'll seem like you know what you're talking about more it works yeah it really does
2: well around this time period i'm curious to ask you guys because now you're associated with iodine how did you guys get tied in with the podcast
1: we did this podcast for about a year and a half right Right. and we used to be the northeast scene And then Casey was a guest on the show, right? And I kind of stayed in touch with him, Casey from Iodine Recordings. We stayed in touch. And then eventually he was like, hey, we should do like a... I think he mentioned some type of partnership. And I'm like so suspicious of everything where I just don't realize what's going on. I was kind of like, nah, I don't want to do that. I I didn't say that to him, but I just thought it. (laughs) And then he mentioned it again. And I was Mm -hmm. like, holy shit, wait, a label wants to partner with us. So... After about six or seven months of planning, here we are.
2: Cool. That's awesome. So were you familiar with him back in the day or the label?
1: Actually, no. I told Casey this when he was uh, on the show. I hadn't heard really any. I had heard of some of the iodine bands like Garrison and Gregor Samson stuff, but I was not like intimately familiar with the label.
0: I had only heard of them because of that comp. And I think that was really just because of Casey.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Right on. Yeah, that was another label back in the day. Like seeing like uh, National Blue, I can't remember who else was at that shit. Like this this tiny little basement show that was just packed out with like fifty kids in Boston. Like we're living in a very special place right now. So shout out to Iodine too. That was quite a special label. I'm happy he's bringing it back.
1: Absolutely, especially us. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) did you have a lot of exposure to the? incredible musicians living in Boston? I mean, you've got Converge, you've got cave in, you've got ISIS, you've got everybody else. Did you did you gig with them? Did you know them? Did
2: you work with them? I mean, they were kind of the next, you know, that we were like sophomores when they were seniors. Like, we were just like, hey, guys, how you doing? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. talk to the dudes in cave in a little bit, but not, they were, you know, they, they were rock stars by the time we were around.
1: Yeah, they were already off on the next thing.
2: Yeah, big time.
1: So Constance... Now, this is a great band. This was formed in 2003, yes?
2: Yes, yeah.
1: Let's talk about that. How does this come together? Who are some of your influences? And I am I love to know that because I really connect with this music. It's like right up my alley, so I'd like to see if my favorites line up with yours.
2: Oh, yeah, that'll be fun. So, funny enough, um, the three original members of Constance were in a pop-punk band with another guitar player, singer, and... Uh, we won a battle of the bands as a pop punk band, and we were kind of just like, "All right, like that's all you can really do with a pop punk band, right?" Like <laughs> this is not really doing it for any of us. So we decided the drummer Duncan and I, who's now in SOM, we just started like writing sort of like more out there, you know, to us more out there sort of stuff. Like there was a band, the Cancer Conspiracy, around at that time that was a big influence. Who actually the, the guitar player I run the studio with here now, Daryl. Um, they were a big influence. Like Hum was a big influence. Yes, like, yeah, um, yes, the band yes was actually a really big influence. Close to the Edge record was like something we listened to a lot. As not not so much as like we need to be like prog pioneer geniuses, but just like whoa, like you're writing like really long, intricate songs that are still interesting, and like that was sort of before the post rock thing opened up. So like you know we sort of became a post rock band without really meaning to. If that makes sense, but I think that those were, you know, there there were other influences for sure, but those were the big ones where it was like, can we do this like slow core thing, but make it like mathy and and sort of bigger?
1: Nice, yeah. Hum is probably the most significant influence in my in all of my guitar writing.
2: Oh wow, I had no idea. Awesome, yeah. They're one of the best. You like their last record?
1: Oh god, yeah. It was. Uh, yeah. We had like a special segment on the show where we brought in a special guest to talk about it, and it's just. It was just phenomenal, and I love that they just surprise released it out of nowhere. Like your, it lives literally just one day to the next. No new hum record, new hum <laughs> record. Yeah. I fell out of my chair. Yeah, same. All right, so we've got Constance together now. You said you became a post rock band without even really realizing it. So had you had you not been into post rock at this time?
2: No, I was. I was like, you know, I, I listened to Mogwai a lot. I remember I saw Explosions in the Sky probably around the time we had already started but like that it didn't click into my in my head until we had already been writing stuff it was like holy shit we kind of fit into this category which is cool
1: did you get more influenced by post rock later because i would say i discovered post rock around 2006 i didn't even mm-hmm. know it existed yeah. and i just i just became obsessed with it it was like you know probably the main thing i listened to for the next decade until now i guess
2: yeah it's tough i don't know it kind of all intertwined together because i feel like we were conscious of it and you know i mean like we were friends with caspian and playing shows with them and like we did a split with them we were on the mylene sheath for a couple records so like we were very intertwined with it but i think we were always sort of like what can we do that makes us not post-rock probably to our detriment at a lot of points yeah we i mean uh, you know it's always complicated when you when you get a label put on your music and you kind of want to fight it yeah. <laughs> yeah, in hindsight we probably should have just rolled with it and embraced it more but yeah we were like how can we be more angular how can we you know sort of have odd meters here that don't give you that like climax that post rock does so well
1: let's talk about the early days of constance now sure did you start touring pretty early were you just playing in the northeast like how did things build
2: yeah so that was that goes back to the label we started like we kind of wanted to give ourselves some authenticity by having a nice website and surrounding ourselves with other bands so you know like we could reach out to a venue and be like hey we have these three four bands with this legit website and we're a label and like let's do a showcase so we ended up being able to book pretty good shows in new york and boston and a couple college shows here and there and pretty quickly really we realized it was like all right we can we can probably book a bigger tour than this so i think we did like a couple weeks across canada And then, uh, Junius, who was, you know, label mates at that point, I think they were the first one to do like a national tour and they found a booking agent that was going to work with them. And he also worked with us. So like, yeah, pretty quickly it escalated to like, how long can we go out on the road for like a month at a time, six weeks at a time.
1: Junius, that's another great band that I discovered through, uh, Spotify radio. Like they just popped on one day and I was like, Whoa, who's this? These guys are great.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's Mike and Joel from SOM are, in that band.
1: Wow. So we've got a, we've got a dream team lineup in some, I I
2: see. (laughs) Many years in the making.
1: Yes. (laughs) So Constance is touring. We're out on the road. We're, we're getting things done. Now, I read an interesting fact about the band. You converted a 66 passenger school bus to run on vegetable oil.
2: We sure did. Yeah. And lived in it for the better part of a year. And then over the course of the next three or four years, spent a lot of time in that thing.
1: How, how? How do you do that? How do you figure <laughs> out how to do that? Uh,
2: our bass player Orion was friends with a, a punk band called um, blanking on the name Fruit Salad. That was the name of the band, and they had done it. And I was like, "Bullshit! There's no way a band can do that. Like, this is not possible." It's like they did it. They did it. And we started doing research. And he was talking to his friends in that band. And uh, you can do it. You can still do it. It's like the original diesel engines were actually designed to run on peanut oil. So it is. It's pretty simple. Like, you got to know basic mechanics. And once you figure that out, it's like, holy shit, why isn't everyone doing this? It's disgusting, but (laughs) it's basically free. (laughs) So
1: you're telling me that we could convert all automobiles to run on vegetable oil now if we really wanted to.
2: Diesel engines, yeah.
1: So we have to be careful because if the oil companies hear this episode of the podcast, they might come and hunt us down, like in that Keanu Reeves movie yes. with perhaps, Morgan perhaps. Freeman. Yeah,
2: perhaps. And If you want to cut this part, that's okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you're telling me like, one. all right, so once you get this conversion done, do you just roll up to a grocery store and buy some vegetable oil and dump it in the bus? And-
2: Here's the beauty. Back then, this is before, you know, quote unquote, they figured it out. So you just roll up to a restaurant and say, hi, um, you have a bin full of grease in the back, right? And they say, "Yeah, we have to pay X amount of dollars per gallon to get it removed every month." And we say, "How about if we make no mess? We go back there for about an hour and we just take it from you." And they say, "Are you kidding me? You want free dinner?" Like, "Yeah. Great. We'll be back <laughs> wow. here for an hour. Just bring us what, you know, some food." Yeah, it was it was crazy. It was a crazy time. Like it doesn't work like that anymore like.
1: So, you almost have a self-sustaining system here for tour. You're you're in a bus that runs on vegetable oil. You're getting free meals from restaurants and you can sleep on the bus because it's a bus.
2: Yeah. We built bunks into it too. Yeah.
1: That's incredible. Yep. So you were out on the road for an entire year?
2: Uh, 10 months with like a, yeah, like a four week break in the middle.
1: How old were you at this time?
2: 25.
1: So was it, was it still fun at this point? Did you just want to be out playing all the time?
2: Yeah, it was mostly fun. I mean, you know, like when you're doing that level of touring, it's, it was tough, but in hindsight, it was it was amazing.
1: I did a couple of tours. I think the longest one was about a month. And when you're gone, you really miss home. Yeah. But then when you come home, you're like, "What the how? What am I supposed to do? Like, how am I supposed to just go back to normal life? It's a yeah. weird dual thing." Totally. Now, Constance, this band is still together, yes? Yeah, yeah. Like you guys just came out with a uh, a record last year. Yep. Devotion.
2: Yep. Yeah, we're still buddies. We uh, we, we text back and forth pretty much every day.
1: When did you decide you wanted to start? What became SOM? And how did that come together?
2: Okay, yeah, sure. So Constance slowed down um, around 2010, 2011, 2012. Um, everybody was just sort of getting their lives, you know, because we had toured so much. Everybody just got to the point. It was like, we need to get our lives together. Like, we can't just live on the road anymore and not make any money. You know, it's, if you can live on the road, you got to make money. You can't just break even um so i you know i started building the studio here that's when i actually built the studios and when my wife and i bought a house 2010 2011
1: yes and you're talking about the radar studio that is your studio founded in 2010
2: yep so i started trying to get that together and trying to figure out how i could actually make money as a musician continuing on with that and not being in a van all the time or bus so yeah i did that and was recording bands and sort of like trying to get other projects off the ground. It didn't, you know, nothing. It's one of those things like when you have, you know, a tiny, tiniest bit of success with a band and you're like, oh, I can just flip this around and do this again. No problem. Yeah. Um, it's hard, man. So, you know, tried writing in a bunch of different styles, tried kind of figuring out a different sound, trying, you know, it took years, man. I put out several records. I produced and mixed a ton of records and Yeah. I mean, just, I kind of got to the point where it's like, I want to do something. I think it was, I can't remember exactly what was the impetus, but it was just like, I want to just do something with my friends that's going to be fun and heavy. And I know I can execute it well. And then I went on tour with Rosetta playing bass for a couple tours and was like, yeah, this is closer to the thing that I want to be doing. So that kind of became the impetus for some, like sort of get it going. And then we finished the record, you know, still, still didn't move very quickly. And then we finally got a couple offers to do some shows and a tour and we needed another guitar player. So, you know, we added our friend Joel and then longer story, we needed another guitar player for another tour that ended up not happening. So then we added Mike and then another tour that actually happened. We were like, oh, now we have these dudes that want to play with us. Like we should just bring them in. So then we became this five piece and it sort of blossomed from there.
1: Yeah, I first caught the band opening for Caspian at St. Vitus. Oh, nice. You were there. Yeah. That was a great show. That was back in 2018.
2: That was our first show.
1: That was your first show? Yep. So I've seen your first show.
2: Yeah. I love that. That's incredible.
1: Yeah, Yeah, and you guys looked pretty polished already. thank you. Yeah, I've been a fan of the band ever since I saw that performance.
2: That's awesome, man.
1: So how much work had gone into the band at that point?
2: Uh, I literally had gotten off of tour with Rosetta two days before that.
1: <laughs> <Wow>.
2: <laughs> so we showed up at the studio here. I want to say maybe even Ca- Yeah. Caspian was here practicing too. So they played cause Justin was, that was among his first shows playing drums for them, but he's also playing bass for us. So I think that the idea was like, everybody would just get together here, hang out for a couple of days and practice. So I think they played for a night or two and then we had a day to practice. So yeah, I think we had like we played the set, you know, handful of times.
1: Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see, experience goes a long way. So wait, the songs were already done? The people had to like come in and just learn the set.
2: Yeah, I mean, we I think at that point we had already recorded the record like we knew what we were doing. Yeah, I don't think it was out yet, but yeah, we had we had put it together and the the plan was that we would be a band. But yeah, we didn't. We had not rehearsed at all.
1: <laughs> I see. So it was a record first, band second type of situation.
2: Yeah, we didn't want it to be, but it just kind of, that's the way it happened. And funny, it's funny enough that we intended for the band to be like, let's not be one of those bands that just puts out a record and then goes out and plays. Like, let's go out and play and like tighten these songs up. But like our drummer, Duncan, was getting married around that time. And then he and I both had our first child around that time. And then Justin had joined Caspian. So it just became this thing where it was like, if we're ever going to make this a band, we need to just kind of go by the seat of our pants a little more.
1: Now, the debut record, The Fall which came out in 2018. This is a very, very strong debut. I love the sound you guys have developed. I think it's pretty unique. And it reminds me of, yeah, there's hum influence, of course, but imagine hum tuned down like a full step. And some riffage even reminds me of like cranberries or like good alternative stuff.
2: Love it, yeah. I love the cranberries.
1: Did you have to shop the record around a lot to get any label interest? I would imagine not. No, we tried a lot, actually. Um, really? Oh,
2: yeah. We kind of figured, like, our, oh, we've been in this band, this band, and this band. Like, want to put out our record? No one wanted to. Really? Yeah. That surprises me. I mean, I, I get it, you know? It was like, people nowadays, especially, they want to see, like, okay, go out and tour. Like, what can you do? Right. At that point, we hadn't done anything, and, you know, in hindsight, I totally get it. But, yeah, nobody, we, we self-released it. And that was another thing, like, coming off the Rosetta tour, it's like, those dudes have just been, like, DIY monsters for so long. Being in a van with them every day was just, like fuck it man if somebody doesn't want to do it just do it yourself it's like oh they're so right so yeah we just pressed it we just pressed it hired a publicist and it's like i think people all like this so it's, it's good to hear you know still it's surprising to be like oh wow people actually do like it great
1: did it get picked up by somebody eventually nope so it's still self-released
2: yeah we actually just pressed 200 of them for the catatonia tour that got canceled i'm looking at a giant box of records Giant bunch of boxes of records. Oh, man. <laughs>
1: what happened to that tour? A COVID? COVID, COVID concerns? Yeah,
2: COVID, yep. On that note, I'm cracking a beer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, take the edge off. Yes. This COVID thing, mm-hmm. I would say last week in New York City, the panic started up again, and the mask debate started up again on Twitter, and the how could you host an event at a time like this? Discourse started again on Twitter, and so I, I just stopped looking at Twitter because I was like, "I can't do this again. I cannot do this all again."
2: Yeah, it's always a good call to just skip Twitter.
1: Exactly, exactly. I have
0: four Twitter accounts.
2: <laughs> List them
0: I can't off. U- I, I, well, I can't use any of them. I don't know how. I, I, I sign up, and then I figure out, like, I, I'm like, "All right, there's way too much information on here, and I don't like it." Like most of the stuff I'm seeing, is just people bickering, and then I quit, and then.
1: A few months later, I'll go, oh, I'll try that again.
2: So it's like at Tommy one, at Tommy two, (laughs) at Tommy three.
1: It's always a random name that I don't uh, recognize. But once a a quarter, I'll tell Tommy that there's something on Twitter he has to look at. And he doesn't remember any of his other screen names. So then he, you know, he has to make a new one to get back (laughs) on. I just got to the point where like people just repost
0: anything from important from uh, on Instagram. They just take screenshots of Twitter and put it on there. I can look at
1: that. That's
0: a much less uh, invasive way to do things.
1: Speaking of pandemic, Sam put out a new EP, Awake, during the pandemic, which is another hit record as far as I'm concerned. Did you record it pre-pandemic? Was this recorded during the pandemic? How did that come together?
2: Yeah, so we were set up to start working on the full length, but like lockdown happened. I think the following weekend, we were supposed to start doing drums for the full length, so we we're just like, well, shit, we have to do something like we cannot not we're not going to just we have no idea how long this is going to last. Like, let's just do something. We can't just let our wheels spin like this. So we were like, how can we do this? What can we do? So Duncan, his family was our drummer, Duncan, his family, his wife and kid were in California visiting before lockdown. So they were stuck there and they had just bought a house in upstate New York. So he's just like sitting around in an empty house filled with boxes. It's like, dude, just set your drums up in the living room. like. Let's see what we can do here. He already knew all the songs, so he just set up his phone on a box and video himself playing drums. And he sent us the video, and it's like, damn, those those newer iPhones, like they have stereo mics, like they sound pretty good. I think we can do something with this. So, like, to challenge myself, I was like, well, let me put this in Pro Tools. Let me like edit this and see if I can actually turn it into something. So we demoed like two or three songs, and I was like, this actually sounds pretty good. Like, we can do something with this. So we ended up finishing two songs and. The idea was like, oh, we'll just drop them on Bandcamp, like just something, whatever. But then we're like, holy shit, like is this COVID thing going to end? Like how long are we going to be here? Maybe we should do more with this. We know other people are kind of like bored at home, so like who can we get to do remixes? It just sort of like turned into a bigger conversation of what what can we do to, to if we're not going to play shows, if we're not going to finish this record, can we do something more with it? So it ended up turning into this whole EP with these cool remixes. And uh, yeah, it's crazy to think that like, yeah, I mean, Pelagic got on board. They were to press the the Pelagic Records ended up pressing the LP, the vinyl, and like you know, I, we got a box of them in the mail. It's like this gorgeous looking record. Those are iPhone drums. <laughs> like, what a time to be alive!
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's amazing. Like, Thank so you're you. telling me on the actual EP is iPhone drums from yeah. Pro Tools?
2: Yeah, we recorded wow. it on an iPhone. I mean, like, I added I added samples to the kick drum. And the snare drum, but like Duncan's Empty House sounded really good. That's incredible.
1: Yeah, that just that just goes to show you that you should not be in creative pursuits. You should not be limited by anything.
2: Oh, for sure. Yeah.
1: You like you use whatever tools you have and you can get it done. So
0: real quick, Will, did you just send so you just kind of like did like a like a mock up like raw, like what the guitars are going to sound like. Right. And then just sent it to him. And then he just basically did a playthrough in his living room
2: basically yeah I mean but at that point we had already demoed out most of the record so like we had pretty much a record ready to go and Duncan was it was time for him to come and do drums so I was like fuck it let's just do it at home
0: okay I thought maybe you were like all right let's just throw some scratch tracks at him and see what he gets and then we'll build things around that but no okay all right so most of the record was already done at that point. well I mean
2: but but it wasn't finished Finished. he definitely was like running stuff like we didn't have his finished parts in our hands yet it was like we went back and forth over zoom it was it was convoluted man
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that spirit, though, of like, fuck it, let's just go. <laughs> let's just do it. I really appreciate that because it's kind of like, you know, as much as, you know, whatever type of music you delve into, whether it's post-rock or, you know, shoegaze, it's like that that kind of ethos of that that kind of punk rock. Like, no, just make it work. That's
2: what we've always been. That's so awesome.
1: Do you throw yourself into creative pursuits to deal with stuff, Will? Like, I this pandemic was kind of a lesson for me, and I don't know mental stability and figuring out things to do to just to just stay on the course like I got deep into YouTube and video games and all this stuff but also this podcast you know we got this podcast really rolling right when the pandemic hit and it became a weekly thing are creative pursuits your survival mechanism will
2: yeah i mean making music has always been my survival mechanism one of one of my quote unquote jokes this pandemic has been like Yeah. I don't know where you guys have been. This is how I've been feeling for years. Like (laughs) I just throw myself in front of speakers and just like, this is how I deal with the madness of the world. You know? Yeah. I feel like you guys have actually touched on mental health stuff throughout the podcast when I've listened. And I appreciate that because yeah, it's helpful, man. It's, it's helpful to hear that other people go through it. And like, I know I'm a maniac that gets creative and overthinks stuff and like, yeah, I don't know. I need to do it. I don't, I don't know another way to live through life and be happy without just constantly making music and being creative.
1: I've always been creative but I got sidelined for about 2 decades when I kind of really got into drugs for a while. Yeah. And then as soon as I put that down, I cycled back into creative pursuits. Like that's how I'm happy, that's my happy, healthy, productive thing. Has that always been that for you, Will? Has there been things you've had to struggle to overcome or any detours along the way?
2: Sure. Actually, just real quick, I want to ask you though, was there an overlap with the creativity and the drug use where it spiked and made you feel like oh the drug use is helping with the creativity or did it just sort of like one immediately overtook the other
1: um there was an overlap because even though i was on drugs i managed to be in bands and put out records and that type of thing but it eventually got to a point where all i did was the drugs you know because if you're like broke and thirty thousand dollars in debt and have negative one thousand dollars in your bank account you you can't like buy an amp to join a band or right. I don't know, you don't have the desire to connect with people or put in the work or any of that stuff. So it's like, yeah, all that stuff just fades away over time. What are some of the stuff you've had to work through?
2: Um, boy, that's a big one. It's broad. I mean, I drink too much. I continue to drink too much. That's sort of, that's my biggest thing. I just, it's always a balance of like balancing life and being positive and being creative with that. Like, darker side of drinking like you know there's that like one or beer one or one or two beer buzz that's perfect for like being creative and getting stuff done and being able to get up in the morning and still be a good dad and then you know during a pandemic it's easy to slide into like maybe got to take it easy buddy so yeah i mean my my best and worst is that i'm able to like i'm I'm good at it (laughs) and i have to be careful about that
0: that's where I was going to say, Will, that's where I was at where uh, it, it, this was pre-pandemic for me, but like uh, I either got really good at drinking or really bad at drinking, depending on, I guess, your perspective. And uh, I, I think for me, it was like it went back to the you, you can't. I couldn't be a parent. <laughs> like, I just, I would wake up in the morning and it's like, my head is pounding. My stomach hurts. I feel like I'm going to throw up. And the kids are like, can we make eggs? And I'm like, oh, oh uh, yeah, hold on. You got to give me like half an hour and some Alka Seltzer. I got to get some coffee in me. like, and meat. Like, it was just like this whole process. And it felt like every time I went through it, I was like, that's the last time I'm doing it that's the last time and it, th- that kept going over and over, but I, I exactly can understand what you're saying with that creativity part of it though. Cause you do feel that first kind of flight of like, Oh, this feels good. And I feel fun and creative. And then, then there's a, you know, diminishing return after that.
2: <laughs> Can I ask you, did, did, did you allow it to become habitual or did you get yourself out of it pretty quick and what got you out of it?
0: Yeah, so what I did was I, I caught myself one time. It was a Saturday morning. I think I've, to, I've told this uh, story on here, but it was a Saturday morning and I knew I didn't have anything to do all day. My wife and I were home. It was like the summertime. We're both teachers. It was the summertime and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to have a drink and I <laughs> drank all day and Ooh, it was that's like
2: dangerous buddy.
0: And I mean, I, I mean, I started at like nine o'clock in the morning and then by dinner, uh, you know, I'm like outside on the grill and I'm like, you know, like plugging in the propane tank. And I'm like, geez, I'm, I'm like, you know, pretty far deep on this bottle here. This is going to be, this has been a rough day. And then I'm like, (laughs) all I could think about was the next morning and trying to wake up. And I was like, right. Oh, this is just this, this isn't good. And, uh, I kind of made a decision after that day. I was like, yeah, just, I I did that. Oh, I'm not going to drink liquor anymore. And then I got beers and I did the same thing with beer. And I was like, yeah, all right, you know what? Just, just no more, no more drinking for a little while. And I just kind of cut myself off completely. I've gone back a couple times. Keith and I have had this conversation. He's always like, I don't know how you do it, but, um, I like it's Christmas time. Like when I go around my, I, I have a bunch of sisters and you know, my mom, uh, we'll get together tomorrow for Christmas Eve and I'll have, I'll probably have a couple drinks, but I, I know that. I have that ability to go really far with it,
1: and I don't let myself get to that
0: point anymore.
2: Well, good for you, man.
1: I'm fascinated when Tommy tells me he's going to have a drink. I'm like, what? Like, mm. one, two? Like, you can just stop? It's it's like a science experiment for me.
2: So, Keith, do you not drink at all? Nothing. Good for you.
1: Yeah, I can't do anything. I am uh, permanently suspended. Good for you, man. I've I've field tested every combination of everything that's out there. <laughs> And it, it it just ends with me almost dead, uh, holed up in my apartment, watching TV and doing nothing else. Right. And that's not a life. No. I got over all that, and now I'm here talking to you, Will. Okay.
2: But I mean, I'm, I'm curious to talk about this with other people, too, that have obviously been through stuff, you know?
1: Everybody's story is different. Unfortunately, some people don't make it to this point. Some people die early. Some people stop early in the, in the process, like Tommy. Me, I did it for close to 2 decades varying degrees of badness and then like 5 straight years of it being bad and just getting to a point where i'm like okay i have to stop and then you know that was a that was a whole process in and of itself as well
0: yeah i still remember that phone call oh yeah <laughs> i was like uh like what are you doing you're like i'm going to a uh, place for a while i was like really like okay <laughs> all right well Call me when you're done and uh, we'll talk. We'll figure this out. Like, all right. So
1: probably sure you're not allowed to have your phone there. So good luck. Tommy, one thing I do remember about that is you, I remember I was in a bad spot and you're like, hey, if you need any money or anything, you know, let me know. And I was like, wow, Tommy's a good friend. He's going to give me money. Like (laughs) I, I was the last person that you should give money at that point.
0: Well, that's all I have. I co- you were so far away like it wasn't like I could be like oh let me go leave my my wife and twins here and then drive up to New York. I was like I I can I can wire you money. <laughs> like if you
1: need cash, like I I can get you whatever you need for the next few days so you can I may I might still take you up on that. It's
2: not um, too late. Back.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a uh, exciting news on the horizon. Sam has a new record coming out on January 21st. It's an important day because The Shape of Everything is coming out, and it's also an important day because that just happens to be my birthday.
2: Hey, I love
1: it. You see how our lives are aligning, Will?
2: Everything is intertwined.
1: Exactly. So The Shape of Everything comes out January 21st on Pelagic Records, and because Tommy and I are such big players in the music world now, we <laughs> we got to hear the record, and I absolutely love it. Folks, you're going to be in for a treat now. Let's talk about this record a little bit. When did we start recording it?
2: So at the same time we started working on the EP with all those remote uh, drum recordings, that's when we started doing like, well, No, I guess we already had demos at that point. So, oh, Jesus, even before that, uh, like a year before that. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, like time has like a, become a flat circle during this pandemic.
1: Tell us about the process of recording this thing. I read an interesting story where Joel, the guitar player, sent you a initial guitar recording for Animals. You got it around three or four in the morning, and then by 2 p.m. that day, you had vocals
2: recorded for it. Yes, that speaks to the way I work, yeah. um, Yeah, I get stuff, I think about it a lot and move forward, yeah.
1: So in that specific instance, mm-hmm. how did you come up with the vocals? Did you get inspired that day and just the, the lyrical content came to you? Did you have some stuff written already? What's your process?
2: So in that case he sent me a demo called Animals and I was just like that's interesting I wonder what he's thinking about. I had to run a bunch of errands that morning. I had to like go to the dump, I think I had to go to the grocery store, you know, just normal normal shit. And yeah, I don't know, it just comes out. I don't know. I I used voice memo on my phone. I like had the first idea and then I was like, oh, I think I hear a harmony too and I just I don't know, I just record it all.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. It it just comes to me sometimes too. Like I I was in the shower yesterday morning and instead yeah. of having an imaginary argument with someone I'll never see again. Uh, Like half of a song came to me and I was like, yes, I'm back.
2: That's what I'm saying, man. You gotta run from that shit and just run toward the creativity. That's that's all I do is just like, avoid the bad parts of your head and just run toward the creative parts of your head.
1: Exactly. That's the way to do it. So what are some of the themes that you sing about? What are some of the recurring themes that you sing about? And what are some of the themes on The Shape of Everything?
2: Well, it's not like... (laughs) I I tried to go a little broader on this record and like make it things that people can kind of understand or think about in their own space. Just a lot of it is like being a new dad and like trying to look at the world and frame things more positively. Um, It's something that I haven't been great about in the past and something that I've been really working toward recently. It's just like I got to dig myself out of the hole of just being depressed all the time and like giving Yeah. You know, just trying to give back in like a more positive way. Like I think that that, you know, it's important to recognize that things aren't shiny and great all the time, but it's as important to try to figure out a way out of it. So the record is a lot of just like playing with figuring that out.
1: What are you depressed about? What brings you down?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know, man. It's a, it's a weird thing. I don't know. I think it might just be chemical. It might be. Yeah, I don't know.
0: So it's just something that you just wake up and you just feel like it's like everything kind of is feels like heavy.
2: Yeah. I mean, I might be, you know, saying it in such a short burst might be like overplaying it. Like I've just been depressed my whole life. Like not to say I'm always depressed. I'm certainly not like, I think things are hilarious. Like if you come and hang out with me, like we're going to laugh more than not. But yeah, just like, like I said earlier, like, you know, when we talk about the pandemic, it's like, yeah, man, like this is the reality. Like a lot of fucked up shit's happening in the world. And it's heavy for a lot of people a lot of the time. And like, I'm just kind of always grappling with that and trying to keep it light.
1: That. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious about that because I thought I was depressed for the longest time, but Mm -hmm. I'm not, I was just on elephant doses of depressants. (laughs) Okay. You know? So I felt depressed all the time, but as soon as I stopped that, I realized like, I'm not depressed. I'm not a depressed person. I'm just anxious. I'm, I'm nervous. I I I, thought you
2: were just anxious, right?
1: Yeah. Anxious. Uh, overthink everything neurotic that's my thing so i i i don't i don't really get depressed unless i don't know unless something happens so if you're feeling bad when nothing is going on at all really if if you just kind of feel bad, I guess it could be a, just a chemical thing,
2: yeah, I think so yeah, i mean it's like it's you know again it's not all doom and gloom like i wake up i can I can get out of bed I can do what I need to do like it's not you know I just have a low voice and i <laughs> that's how I come across, but yeah it's just like it's you know it's just it's just dealing with like having a daughter and like a, a child now, it's like, okay, I can't just talk and sound like this all the time. Like I gotta like, you know, keep it moving.
1: Exactly. How old is your daughter?
2: Uh, She turned three in October.
1: Oh, wow. Nice. I bet having a kid really changes things a lot. I, I, I sometimes just think about having a kid and I'll cry <laughs> because I'm like, <laughs> I'm weird. like, Oh my God, I would show them this and we would do that. And, and I just I get so overwhelmed with emotion, and that's just a made up kid. Like how <laughs> how are you dealing with the the real kid, Will?
2: Yeah, it's a lot of crying. <laughs> uh, no, it's it's cool, man. It's uh, yeah, it's like it's the most beautiful thing you've ever experienced in your life, but also the most exhausting thing you've ever experienced in your life. And like, yeah, dude, I'm tired, man. She's, you know, <laughs> she's had two colds in a month. Uh, you know, don't sleep through it you Now she was up yelling at 3 a.m. because she was. I don't even remember what she wanted.
0: Yeah. That's been my reality for like the last month is that everybody's just been sick and passing it to each yeah, other. Dude. Keith and I had this conversation the other day though. My daughter is learning. Um, How old is she? Uh, so I have twins that are eight and then I have, she's a toddler now, but she's, t- I have another daughter that's two. One of the eight year old twins is downstairs uh, and I have like a, you know, a relatively small keyboard. Not like a, it's, I think it's only what a third of the size, like 33 keys or something like that or 30 keys. That sounds about right. Yeah. And she's learning that new, well, it's new to me, the Adele song, Easy On Me. <laughs> oh. And, and and I said to Keith, I was like, oh, hey, she's learning this song. I was like, have you ever heard it before? And he's like, no. And I was like, yeah, just go listen to this girl's voice. I'm not a big, like, solo <laughs> singer type person, but, man – it gave me goosebumps and he was like if i had a kid and i came home and watched them play piano like trying to like struggle through learning how to play piano by themselves he's like i would like, i would be crying and i'm like well i, I get extraordinarily proud of her cuz she'll spend hours by herself just playing and yeah the song is so beautiful though
1: like yeah i just imagined my hypothetical daughter <laughs> learning that song and i was like oh my heart <laughs>
2: well i got to say the hypothetical daughter is much easier to deal with <laughs> yeah yeah (laughs) but tommy that's that's honestly it's beautiful like my daughter just started singing jingle bells in the car today and it was like holy shit that's it's moving
0: it it really is and it's uh one of the things that we're dealing with now is we're not having any more kids uh so like we're like all right this is the last baby so like i in my head i'm getting up so early on christmas morning because i need to be down everything needs to look perfect this is going to be like my last like little baby Christmas, like where she's going to come down the <laughs> stairs in feety pajamas,
1: you know, like that,
0: that like wide eyed, like, Oh, look what Santa brought. Like that type of, thing. I was like, I can't wait. And, uh, in my head, I'm going, you know, 15, 20 years ago, I was punching people in the head at bars and like doing right, stupid right? shit. And it's like, I, 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 you know, uh, it's, it's remarkable to look back. Kids are a, uh, a great kind of milestone, but also something to kind of gauge where your life was and where it's going. They, they are a wonderful kind of compass to have.
1: Will, in addition to the classic bands you've been in, you also founded the Radar Studio in 2010, yes? Yes. Now, I've read that this is the first solar-powered studio in New England. Yes. Now, how? How do you do this? How do you find out about this? How does it work?
2: Okay. Um, so when my wife and I were trying to find a house, we wanted to find the one that was cheap and we found one that had a blown furnace. So we had no heat, hot water, anything here. So when we were looking into like how to do it at the time, there was a federal refund and a state tax credit that actually made it pretty cheap to put solar panels on the house. So that's what we did. And it just became like a way of life for us.
1: So when you put the solar panels in is is it that simple you put the panels in you have electricity just like you would if you were paying uh, the power company?
2: Yeah, it works just like electricity. So basically you tie into the grid and we don't have a battery backup system, so we just send power to the grid when we're not using it, which is most of the time. And we take what we need from the grid. So we get if if we're able to send them enough power, we get a, a, a energy credit on our bills. I don't know if that, it's kind of convoluted. I don't know if that makes sense.
1: No, it does. I just think it's so interesting because you read about this stuff, but I, I never actually hear about anybody doing it. So you're telling me that we could have vegetable oil, diesel cars, and yes. solar panels in our house. Like, we could really do it. Yes.
2: Yes. And it's much, much, much cheaper than what you currently do.
1: And it's cheaper? Way cheaper.
2: Yeah. I mean, the the, the thing with solar panels is, like, there is an upfront investment, uh, all these companies out now out now that are trying to like get you to rent stuff to put on your house, they're fucking scams. You just I mean, obviously it, it costs money to do the down payment to buy them. But if you look into to, there's there's always federal money that if you look into it, you can get back or usually depending on what state you live in, especially in Massachusetts, Connecticut, New York, you can get tax credits every year. It's way cheaper. If you can throw down a little bit of money on a credit card, even put a few on your house, it will pay itself off within a few years, guaranteed.
1: Wow, so if the gas companies and energy companies hear this episode... They're shutting us down, dude. They're coming for us. (laughs) We're done. I've been spouting this off for a long time. They haven't shut me down yet. (laughs) We are going to revolutionize the world once this information gets out. Look, biodiesel,
0: solar panels. Let's go. I'm just telling you right now, I did not kill myself, but despite what everyone says.
1: (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> if the podcast suddenly stops, if we miss a week, uh, somebody call Casey, tell him what's going on. It's yeah. not us. All
2: that talk about depression in the middle, we were just kidding.
1: Yeah, my, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Amazing. Um. So tell us about the studio. Is that what you're doing when you're not touring and recording?
2: Uh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, uh, since I've had a daughter, it's slowed down a little bit. I've been a little more selective about what I do. But yeah, I've been out here full time for like six, seven years. Um, Yeah, I I mix and master for bands. I record when I can. Uh, I do a lot of like production music for TV and advertising and stuff like that. It's like it's cobbling a lot of things together to sort of make ends meet. That's
1: something I wanted to ask about was the work you do for uh, television and advertising. What kind of stuff do you do? Commercials, television shows, laid on us?
2: Yeah, all of it. Uh, Whoever will have me. It's a lot of like... I mean, honestly, the the game nowadays is like you just write a bunch of music and hope it gets used. Uh, it doesn't even like when I first started, it was like, oh, wow, you can make like a few hundred bucks a week up front and then like get decent back end. Nowadays, it's just like you got to just hustle, get stuff done and hope there's back end, which uh, sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. But you just keep hustling, keep doing it. And it's been pretty like so when we had our kid, I couldn't obviously couldn't work for a few months. And the production stuff was just paying my bills for like six, nine months. So it works. How does it work?
1: Does a TV show say, hey, we need a song that's kind of sad for this scene? Or do they send you
2: a clip of something? How does it work? If you're lucky, like I've worked for bigger companies like Vice and Sony, where it's like, hey, we, you know, we have X amount of money in our budget for this. Like, can you pitch it? Give us some ideas more and more now. It's like, there's just these blanket companies that are like, hey, we provide music for mtv whatever like you know pick a minor network bravo or whatever uh we just need a ton of music to throw at them because they've got a bunch of shows that need music like we we need like judges table for example it's like a, a good one like where we need stuff that goes Shun, da, 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 or what you know like whatever they need so you just make 10 of those and you hope that one or two of them gets placed on a tv show and then six months to a year later you're like oh whoa, that one got placed cool here's some money
1: are you ever watching TV and you hear like, shoo, and you're like, that's yes. my shh."
2: So I had a funny, uh, ugly delicious. Are you guys familiar with that one on Netflix? No. Yeah. Minor show. So that's one of those where I was, you know, it's like a cooking show where it's like, oh, this is really good. I like this show. And I got into it. And I was like, wait a minute. That song sounds really familiar. Like that's, I did that. Wait a minute. I haven't gotten paid for that. <laughs> so I literally had to like send an email to the, to ASCAP, which is like a, that's the company that pays you. Like they, they handle artist royalties. And I was like, so it's been like over a year and this isn't even in your system. Like what happened? I still don't know what happened, but I finally started getting paychecks for it. Like, it's so funny. It's like, I wonder like how many of those that that I have done that I haven't gotten paid for. Like, dude, come on, man.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Cause like when you're doing specific work, like, Hey, can you compose something that sounds like this? Great. But if you're just like essentially putting a portfolio out there and they can select from it, it's like, you're just hoping that they go, maybe he doesn't see this.
2: Like, I've never met anybody that shady. Like, I've dealt with some shady people, but everybody seems really... Like, it's more up and up than indie rock, to be honest. They're all trying to make sure everybody gets paid. But, yeah, just, like, there's, it's such a, a volume business at this point, I hate to say. Like, you know, you're just cranking out songs.
1: Do you put them all together yourself? Yeah. That's got to be a good deal. You got the studio. You just crank out music. You're sending it to TV shows. and The only part that sucks is, like you might not get paid. You have to like track somebody down to make sure you get paid.
2: Yeah. I mean, usually like that, that that was an outlier as far as I know. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's like, it's honestly, it's a great business. It's just, it is a volume. Like, you know, there's part of me that's like people that do nine to five work and they can just clock out and be done. Like that's, that sounds pretty good. Like I'm definitely like, well, I don't know how much I'm going to get paid this quarter. So I just got to keep working and hope it works out. The other side of that is I love doing it. Like, I'm working on some cues right now that are like Watchmen. I don't know if you guys watch that show. Yeah. Yeah. Like stuff that's like Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross inspired. Like, dude, I could do that all day and it's super fun. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'll get paid for it, but it's super fun.
1: <laughs> it looks like the most fun thing. I, I, that's something I want to do one day. I don't know if it's ever possible, but I, I look at movies and, like, picking the music or composing the music, it seems like like one of the best things ever.
2: It is. Honestly, man, do it. And like just pick a style, pick a show, pick a something, try it, and I, w- I can honestly send you in the right direction. Like There's so many companies out there that just like
1: need music all the time. We're going to talk about that. Yeah, hit me there up. There you go, Tommy. That's the beginning of my career in uh, putting music to things. There you go. Tommy's Look. taking 10%. <laughs> Finder's fee is what they call you, right? That's right. So here we go. That's right. Yeah. So you have a solo electronic project, Living Phantom, as well. Are you still creating music under that project?
2: Yes. I want to. I have a bunch of stuff written that's just not finished. But yes, I, I plan to do more. I was actually just talking with Mike, our guitar player, and Sam, about like that I should do some remixes for this new record. I just I haven't had time, but I want to.
1: So we talked about it in the beginning. You said the European tour with Catatonia that is now canceled.
2: Yes. Well, postponed until
1: 2023. I see. Okay. So do you have anything else coming up with some, any gigs or tours or anything like that?
2: Not currently. We're kind of working on some stuff in the U.S., but we're, you know, based on the COVID numbers right now, we're sort of taking a step back, unfortunately.
1: (laughs) It's got to be frustrating because it seemed like things were getting somewhat better. Shows were happening again. Records are coming out again, just like the good old days. And now everything shutting down again and the unsure nature of everything creeping up again.
2: It is frustrating, but I also totally get it. Like, uh, you know, as someone who has a grandmother that's in her 80s and a daughter that's three, it's like, I I get it. Like, I'm not trying to make the world any worse.
1: That's the way to go. Now, there's a band I like. I won't say who. They were like, we're going to do a show. Uh, no COVID restrictions, no vaccine card needed. And I was like, uh, no, that's not a good thing to advertise.
2: Yeah. We just, we played with Paul bear at St. Vitus and, uh, yeah, it was like, I mean, obviously, you know, it sounds like, you know, Keith, like, you know, you show your vax card, you go in. Yeah. And that one, that was like before this new spike. And it was like, oh, this, this feels pretty good. I think we can do this. And then obviously the numbers start growing and it's like, well, maybe we shouldn't do this for a little while. Like. I don't know it doesn't seem unreasonable to just like not play rock and roll in front of a lot of people for <laughs> a few months if it's gonna save people's lives i don't know maybe that's not the rock and roll spirit but like uh, you know whatever
1: yeah no i'm with you on that we can wait a couple months we did exactly. it we're used to it now it's part of our everyday life
2: yeah it's a bummer but like you know whatever
1: all right so let's recap here's what we're gonna do folks we're gonna listen to constance right? You've got a lot of music out there. You just put out a record last year, Devotion. We want to check out the band if we haven't heard it yet, right? Yes. Absolutely. And we want to check out Living Phantom. That's your solo electronic project. We've got all different kinds of music, all different genres, right? Yes. And we want to book ourselves at the Radar Studio and be recorded with solar
2: electricity. Or maybe just get mixed because it's COVID times
1: or just get mixed, (laughs) but with Will at the Helm, you are guaranteed to sound golden, right?
2: I hope so, yeah.
1: (laughs) And, of course, Psalm has a new record coming out on Pelagic Records. It comes out January 21st, and it's called The Shape of Everything. If there's pre-orders, pre-order it now. Get this thing. Tommy and I have heard it. We love it. If you're a fan of the band, you're gonna love it, and even if you're not a fan of the band, it's so good that you will become a fan of the band. Yes,
2: Tommy. Yes.
1: <laughs> Wait, that was that was a question for you. Right? Oh, sorry. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I knew that he was deflecting to you, Tommy, but I just let it happen. <laughs>
0: okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's sometimes when like you're like hyping up the record. I'm like, all right, I I should jump in at some point, yeah,
2: and then I'm like, swinging no, the you. t-shirt around.
1: Yeah, I I, <laughs> I I feel weird because then I'm like, yeah, no, what Keith said, that is, you do that part. Like, I'll get an air horn sound effect for our soundboard.
0: Do the uh, bah, 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 bah. yeah, like, exactly
1: that one. Yep, that's exactly what I'm gonna get. And uh, we were gonna fly to Europe to see some tour with Catatonia, but that is postponed until 2023, so we're not gonna do that. Uh, but catch the band live. I've seen them a couple times now, and it's great. I love it. Will. Thank you so much for being on the show. You know, we're we're big fans of what you do, and we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us, and we definitely appreciate that you dig the show.
2: Oh, guys, you guys are awesome. Thank you for talking to me.
1: There you have it, folks. Will benoit excellent conversation excellent bands in addition to Psalm, constance is a great band too have you oh, dug yeah. into their discography tommy
0: i haven't gone really deep with it i've listened to uh a, a, a probably like four or five songs but uh yeah they are great they're really they have a cool sound that's the thing i really dig about them.
1: it's like post-rock but it's not and it has vocals it's in the same neighborhood as some just yeah. not as heavy really great stuff and i've said it before and of course i'll say it again som is one of my favorite modern bands i really like everything they've done like i told will i've been a fan of them since i saw their first show i forgot that was their first show tommy that i saw oh yeah who was yeah. that with caspian caspian all right what a lineup two bands tommy at saint vitus som and caspian perfect show perfect show incredible.
0: I, they do. Sam does the thing really well that I always love about like that type of music is the build up to like the extremely heavy, but oh, I get to use it. The brutality. Yes,
1: <laughs> yes. I, I've been trying to fit that in for weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you remember that because I always forget that, and it's such a good term.
0: Beyond Caspian, Sam might be the they do it so incredibly well, and and again, it has that early like that sh- that shifting era kind of deftones where it's it's heavy but it's also kind of like hauntingly beautiful I, yeah. I, that's really like I, I love that sound
1: yeah so thank you again will for being on the show it was it was really nice to talk to you and let's see what tommy what did we do for new year's eve you go first give me a recap my mom and stepdad came
0: over we ordered pizza had wings uh those are the most expensive wings i've ever bought
1: why are they expensive? Uh, I guess it's a supply chain thing. Oh, really?
0: Yeah, they were just saying like they the price from the, whoever their supplier is went up, so a dozen wings cost sixteen ninety nine. Wow. Yeah, it was like a dollar a dollar plus per wing, but they were delicious, so it didn't matter. Ordered pizza. Uh, we watched in uh, Canto the new Disney movie, Mm-hmm. and the baby went to bed like normal times. She, she tells us when she wants to go to bed, she literally says nap. Like she'll just mouth it to you. Like it's time to go. Like I got to go upstairs <laughs> and she puts her head like on, she'll rest her head on her hand and say like nap. And it's like, okay. So she was in bed by eight. Um, the girls stayed up a little bit later, maybe nine forty five. but by then they kind of just start to peter out. So what we did last night was I just set an alarm clock Uh, on my phone, just to wake us up at 11.55. So we get them up real quick, run downstairs, watch the ball drop, and then go right back to bed. Had a kind of
1: rough night, though. Why? What happened?
0: Our dog is getting very old. She'll be 13 in February, and she really does not. She used to be better with it. Uh, I think in her older age, she's getting a little bit more anxious, but she does not like the fireworks. Um, And you know, they legalized fireworks in Pennsylvania about a year and a half ago. So at the stroke of midnight, actually, let's just be honest, right around 10 o'clock.
1: <laughs> it's Bucks County. There's fireworks all day, every day. It doesn't matter if there's a holiday or not.
0: In this, you know, When they first, that first summer, like last summer was the first summer, I think that they were completely legal. It was from literally the middle of June to like the end of august like the whole summer (laughs) you just heard fire and it was like you know people were setting off like the really big like pretty ones that you can see like the aerial ones that go up and blow up right yeah in the middle of the day you would hear them like that like that noise and then like it's five like it's (laughs) it's not gonna be dark for another like almost four hours what is happening right now yeah so the dog we have um a a big, huge weighted blanket. It it weighs about 25 pounds. So we put that on top of her and just lay with her. But the whole time she's laying there, she's just, she does this like kind of whimper kind of cry and you can tell she's just uncomfortable. Uh, So that was, that was a rough part because just getting her to fall asleep took about an hour. And then she, anytime you heard any you know, any fireworks after that, she would wake up and you have, have to start the whole process over again. So I used to have terrible sleep or, you know, I would feel terrible the next day on new year's day for different reasons today. I'm very tired because my anxious dog was up.
1: <laughs> well, that's better than being hung over, right?
0: Oh my God. That's would the main reason I stopped drinking like I did was because the hangovers were just unbearable. I just couldn't do it anymore. I'm such a sissy when it comes to being like even mildly put out like, Oh, I have a slight headache and my stomach hurts. It's like, Oh, I can't do this. Like, so <laughs> I'm just such a sissy with stuff like that. I I just finally got to the point where it's like, I can't do this anymore. But yeah, that's it. That's a nice uh, waking up on new year's day with, not having to look at my phone and be like, who did I text? What did I post online? Like that kind of like, oh, God, what did I say to that person? Because I know they texted me. Like, (laughs) like, did I go on a 20-minute rant? No? Okay, good. I actually remember now what I did. So that's phenomenal.
1: How was your New Year's Eve? It was good. I went and ate at Katz's famous New York City Delicatessen with some friends in the village. Guess how much a sandwich is there, Tommy? You'll you'll die at this.
0: I've seen those sandwiches. It's a lot of lunch meat, so I don't uh uh, uh
1: like thirty five dollars, twenty eight. Okay, yeah, that makes actually sense. the the whole meal was thirty five, which is actually not too bad. No, because you take home a lot, right? No. Oh. <laughs> Wait, uh, so what did you get? Did you get corned beef? Like, what did you get? Pastrami on rye. I split a side of fries with my friend and a soda. So the whole thing with tip ended up being $35 for me. But the place is fantastic. It was good. It was good to be out. Cause I, if, I'm glad that um, some of the volunteer gig stuff that I'm doing is lining up perfectly with Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve, some key dates. So I get out, I see people, and then I go out and hang out with people afterwards. So it's all lining up, Tommy, which is great because when I, I don't feel motivated to do things most of the time. So when I sit inside and just sit on the computer all day and play video games and work, that's fun, but it's oh. not very uh, spiritually fulfilling. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. I get yeah. that. Actually, you know, it's funny. You just talked about volunteering. I just signed up yesterday. So I'm going to be doing Saturday mornings uh, for the last three weeks of January. So I think it's the 15th, the 22nd, and then the 29th. Uh, Saturday mornings from 9 until uh, 12, I'll be teaching chess as part of a, a mentoring program.
1: You're going to be teaching chess? Yeah. You know how to play chess? I know how to play all right. I, well, we're gonna circle back because this is my time, Tommy. You see oh, how yeah. you you see how you're seizing it back from me and and oh, and were, uh, taking sorry. us off course. I thought you were done. I'm sorry. All right. I went to Katz's. I ate with some friends. I came home and watched my favorite Warzone streamer, Iron. He he had the world record for most wins in the game. You know, he'll stream for like 35 hours straight. Really? Yes. Does he eat during it? No. Wow. Yeah. I think he used to be a weightlifter, so he probably does some crazy, like, he probably does some crazy pre-gaming, eat a bunch of food, drink a bunch of supplements thing. Okay. Plays for 35 hours, crashes, and then does it all over again. What's his name again? Iron? Iron. Okay. So I watched that. I fell asleep before midnight, and then I woke up at 12.07 a.m., I think. Okay. And fired off a bunch of texts and happy new years and all that stuff to everybody and then went back to sleep but before i went out tommy something happened and i have to tell you about it now okay now i broke the window on my computer on my desktop pc on these gaming pcs there's like a oh the like the thing you can see inside the computer yeah like on the, on these gaming desktop pcs they'll be the side will often be clear they'll yeah. be like a clear glass type thing yeah so I was in the middle of a game of Warzone, right? And something happened and I like moved my mouse all the way to the right. And I guess I knocked my phone off the desk or something. I don't know what happened. And I didn't even hear it happen, but I was like, oh no, something bad happened. And I looked down and the glass is shattered everywhere. The The cover of the computer was completely shattered. There was glass all over the floor. But in, uh, you know, Tommy, I am a, I'm a, true soldier because i i kept going i kept playing the game and we won oh that's good and then i spent about an hour cleaning up the glass (laughs) (laughs) um so all in all it was a good night i did everything i wanted to do i saw people it was good sounds like a really productive night it
0: was that's good because when you i always think of uh Compare it to New Year's Eve's in the past.
1: All right. There's a lot of different factors here. When I was still getting high and drunk and happy, I always thought it had to be like the biggest, craziest night ever. I have to buy as many drugs as I can. I have to go to as many parties as I can. It has to be this big, explosive thing, and I would always end up disappointed Uh because it's just another night. Yeah. And then there was um, the years of addiction of just being alone and sitting inside and getting high by myself, and that was sad and then there was like early recovery sitting inside alone not high by myself because i don't have anything to do and now there's things to do so it's uh, there's been many eras tommy there's been many eras i guess many eras of disappointment <laughs> leading <laughs> leading to now
0: i i was going to say though i like the i like the evolution of that though the trajectory you're on is is a positive one it's gone from you know big disappointments to isolation to a different type of isolation to now being out with friends and doing fun things and enjoying life and feeling like you're part of something bigger
1: exactly exactly do you have any resolutions for 2022 tommy i was actually thinking about this
0: no uh i do want to continue i've been on a really good streak with after after work getting stuff done early so that the girls are in bed early so that i have time to do something for myself whether that's Reading or working out or playing guitar. Uh, My real resolution is to spend more time playing guitar and playing piano. I want to get better at piano.
1: Yes, I would love to do that too, but I always fall short. Like I'm like, hey, I'm going to learn this song, and then I just never do. So it just must not be time yet.
0: Yeah, I I actually, well, I sent you the video. I've been, I, I learned some of that Adele song, and then I taught it to Evelyn. And so she's been figuring out a lot of it just by watching YouTube videos. Uh, I try not to watch the YouTube videos. (laughs) I try to do it. I try to do it by ear, which is infinitely more difficult, uh, especially for me that I don't have the ear training. Uh, But I'm trying to slowly get myself into being able to listen to it and then find the notation so that I can learn how to play it. it. Sometimes that leads me to playing it in a way that's incorrect. (laughs) <laughs> um, so then I have to unlearn everything but I feel like that's a better process for me because then I, rather than just watching something and repeating it, I'm actually, I feel like I'm learning a little bit more about how to play piano and how my fingers should move and the the notes just should be combining
1: I watch the YouTube video because there's a lot of keys to hit I'm never going to figure all that out I think the, the thing for me has been I, I try to just listen to one
0: part like I'll just try to listen to my left hand with like the you know the bass hand and try to figure out what the the main notes like try, try to figure out what the baseline is and move from there because once i figure out what the main notes are for the bass like that adele song only has four bass notes that you're playing and then the real like bulk of the song that took as taking me the most time is trying to like match the the actual right hand which is the part that most people are familiar with that's the kind of higher key
1: part that people listen to my resolution for this year is to just stay on top of my recovery practice because I cut back a bit in 2021 just because I was so busy with everything else and I got into a, a bad headspace. And I just want to stay vigilant in 2022 because when I stay vigilant and when I stay on top of it, I'm just a better person in general. I'm less unhappy in a lot of ways. I'm just generally better. That's really the only thing I need to stay on top of, because I'm very happy in every other aspect of my life right now. That's good. Yeah. Good. So you're just isolating things that you're like, all right, I've, everything else is working.
0: These couple things aren't. Let's focus on these.
1: I love yeah, it. Because I cut back. I'll be like, hey, I only need to do this much. And then I find myself a lot more unhappy, a, a lot shorter fuse, you know, getting irritated with people and all this stuff. And that's not the kind of person I want to be. I love that. It's the
0: process of self-development.
1: Yes, just like... Um, wait, that's uh that's an album, Candiria. <laughs> yes, it always a comes classic. Back to, it always comes back to Candiria. It should <laughs> and corn. <laughs> it should always come back to Candiria and corn, as far as we're concerned. Yeah, corn doesn't have any really inspirational titles. That's it, folks. Listen, we're in a new year now. We're gonna be here for the entire year with you. And it's going to be great. So from Tommy and I to you, we wish you a happy new year. We're going to have another exciting year of shows. We're going to have another exciting year of guests. And it's going to be great. Right, Tommy? I'm excited. Yes. Listen to how excited we are. <laughs> 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 yeah, just
0: over the moon. My thing is, it's, we, we are, uh, I, I don't know how much we can divulge about this, but we're ahead in, re- in terms of recording, and that makes me feel really good.
1: Yes. Being ahead makes me much less anxious, and I'm happy about that. Being sure. ahead is where we want to be yeah. in the show and in life. How about that? I like that. Good connection. Yes. So that's it, folks. We're back next week with another new show and another new guest. And in the spirit of the season, I'm going to leave you with this version of what is, is, it's so, tell me, you're telling me it's not Auld Lang sin?
0: Yeah, it's Auld Lang sign. Really? Yeah, that's, uh, I had to look it up, it's the, because it's a Scottish, uh, it's a Robert Burns poem, I think, but it's the Scottish pronunciation of that. I see.
1: Well, we're going to leave you with this instrumental post-rock and bluegrass cover of Auld Lang Sign. did I say it right? Yeah. By Sam Plotkin, I found it on YouTube and I like it a lot. Enjoy the season. Enjoy the year. We'll be back next week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time.